Heavenly Father, we beseech thee. I kneel before you as a member of this age-old craft, praying to you for guidance as I am on a journey. A journey for more light, but more especially light that has been lost, forgotten, or hidden among the ages gone by. The light that connects us with our very meaning and informs us of our purpose. Light locked deep within our past, beyond lips that no longer speak, and paths forgotten, no longer traveled. Aid me in my pursuit, Lord, for historical light. Hey everybody, welcome back to Historical Light, an independent Masonic show focused on the historical events and aspects within Freemasonry. As always, I'm your host, Brother Alex Powers, and I want to thank you for coming back once again. Today is episode number 19. We have a special video that we're going to be sharing with you, but we're not going to give all the details away on that just yet. Before we get into everything, let's start off like we always do. Jump over to masonrytoday.com, check in with our friends, and see just what happened in Masonic history today. Today in Masonic history, James Naismith is born in 1861. He was a Canadian-born American who invented the game of basketball. He was born November 6th of 1861 in Ontario, Canada. Despite claims of having a middle initial of A, he was actually never given a middle name. He was never a very good student in school. He excelled as a farmhand and played more physical activities. And it's said as a child, his favorite game was Duck on a Rock. In this game, the player tries to protect the small object stood upright. The other players have to try to knock that object over. Naismith was very good at this game and actually used a light arching shot, whereas his other players used a harder, more direct shot. The light arching shot would actually become very important in the development of basketball. He graduated from Almont High School in 1883 and after graduating, enrolled in McGill University in Montreal. He participated in several sports there at McGill before graduating with a Bachelor of Arts degree in Physical Education in 1888. After graduating, Naismith became a physical education teacher. In 1891, he became the first director of athletics at McGill. But before long, he would leave Montreal for a job in the physical education department at the YMCA International Training School in Springfield, Massachusetts. It was there at Springfield YMCA that he was met with a challenge. He had a class of rowdy young men who were unable to go outside in the harsh winter and had become almost uncontrollable. Because of this, his boss directed him to come up with a new activity for the young men and gave him only 14 days to create it. The game had to be no contact by the direction of his boss. He didn't want anybody to get hurt. Naismith looked at the popular games of the time, including baseball, football, and lacrosse. To help with the idea that it should be no contact, he decided to put up goals, two peach baskets that he attached to the railings 10 feet above the gym floor. Initially, people were allowed to move with the ball. This led to a variety of injuries as the instinctive reaction was to tackle the player with the ball. After his first round of injuries, Naismith made it so that you could not move and strictly had to pass the ball. In 1892, the game was already gaining popularity, especially in YMCA facilities. There was a call for the game to be called Naismith Ball, 
Naismith refused the honor. By 1898, he had moved to Denver and gotten himself a medical degree. Later that year, he joined the University of Kansas faculty. There, he became the head coach of the newly formed basketball team. He was actually hired as a physical education instructor. Ironically, he is the only coach in the history of the University of Kansas program to have a losing record. Despite inventing the game, Naismith was not at all interested in the game. He was more focused on teaching physical education. In 1925, Naismith became a United States citizen after uh, he traveled extensively through the United States and Europe. He passed away on November 28, in 1939. Naismith was a member of Russell Lee Lodge in Springfield, Massachusetts, and later affiliated with Lawrence Lodge No. 6 in Kansas. He was Worshipful Master of Lawrence Lodge No. 6 from 1927 to 1928. All right, well, thank you to our friends over at masonrytoday.com for another great article. Definitely check them out at their website and social media so you can keep up with those articles on a daily basis as they come out. So let's jump over from there and pay the bills and keep the lights on. Today's episode of Historical Light is brought to you in part by our sponsor, Masonic Revival. If you haven't checked them out, do so after the show today at MasonicRevival.com. You're going to find a great source there for some bow ties, neckties, lapel pins, and much more to meet all those Masonic needs of yours. And if you use our promo code, which is all caps, one word, HLIGHT, you can get free shipping on your entire order. So take advantage of that today right after the show at MasonicRevival.com. Show's also brought to you in part by viewers like you. So if you like to see what we do here and want to see us continue and grow, uh, you can definitely support the show and we appreciate everything you're willing to offer. You can do that at our website, historicallight.com. Up in the menu bar, click on support us and you can support the show through the means of PayPal. You can do that on a one-time basis or set up for a monthly subscription, which we would deeply appreciate. So like I said, everything you're willing to support there Keeps the lights on, keeps us going episode by episode, so we deeply appreciate it. All right, well, bills are paid and lights are on for yet another episode, so that is always a good thing. Now, i got to give a huge shout-out to the Grand Lodge of Kansas. Coming back this weekend from the 2017 Leadership Academy, very, very well put on. i, I got to give it to you guys. Major kudos. If you haven't been to one of these, if they have them in your area get to it. If you have the chance to get to the one here in Kansas, I can definitely vouch for it. It's very well put on, um, but just take the time, invest in it. It is very well worth it. So the great part about this is they give you an option. It's not you're just setting through these set classes. They give you an option of what classes you're going to. So they got two different rooms with different classes going on, and you can pick and choose from what's going to best fit you and your lodge's needs. Now, the great thing is my lodge had several guys go, so we were able to make sure that someone was at both classes all the time, took detailed notes. We're going to share those with each other so we can get the most out of this event as possible and implement that into our lodge so we can grow and develop uh, as much as we can, take this information and really put it to use within our lodge. So it was great. It was epic. Um, took a lot from it. Got to see a lot of great guys again and just thoroughly enjoyed myself. So if you guys have one of those in your area, definitely get to it. It's it's a, it's a great thing and you'll take a lot from it. Now, I also want to kind of throw a thing out there. Keep an eye out. I'm thinking it's going to be next episode. I'm hoping we're working on it. We got a new segment that's coming to the show. We got a great brother that's joining the Historical Light team to bring you a new segment every episode and you guys are really going to enjoy it. So I want to thank you all for making that possible by supporting the show and keeping us going. 
Um, but it's going to be epic. I'm going to leave it a little bit of suspense there. I'm not going to say who it is or what the segment is, but it's going to be enjoyable. So keep an eye out for that. Um, for now, let's go ahead and jump into a, to our uh, main part of the episode today. Like I said, we're not going to have an interview. We're actually sharing a video today. And I'm sharing it because it was very impactful when I saw it myself. And this is something I'm trying to um, kind of emulate for my lodge right now. Uh, Brother Mitch Denning did a very, very well um, put together documentary for a lodge. Uh, if I see here real quick, sorry, is the Portland Lodge number 326 uh, did their 150th anniversary. And Brother Denning put together this great documentary kind of capturing that history and bringing it to light. And did such a great job. I said, wow, I got to do this for my lodge. So we're actually going to share that video tonight and see if, you know, maybe it'll spark something in you two to do something like this for your lodge. Because very impactful. And it's one of those things that so many things can disappear, but this video is going to be around for a long time. And it's kind of everything into one and just a really, I don't know, a debriefing, so to speak, of your lodge's legacy. So check it out let me know what you think and we're gonna have brother denning on in a future episode here pretty soon um, for an interview uh, he's got some great things to say about this be able to maybe tell us some key points of how to go about this how to make it happen for our lodge but for now let's jump over and see this great video and let me know what you think here we go I had a good friend that I run around with all the time, and he was a mason. And I asked him one day, I said, uh, Mr. Suttle, what do you have to do to be a mason? He said, just what you've done. If you want a petition, I'll get you one. There you go. Those early days of the lodge, it was easy to believe a brother's masonry was a large part of his life. He probably walked or rode horseback for miles to attend the meetings. Membership was small and brethren took turns in filling the, the chairs. Each brother was present at every communication except in case of emergency. Each uh, fellow thought it was his duty to visit a sick brother, maybe to sit up with him or perform some task for the family. No brother missed another brother's funeral, and their ancient brothers were happy in doing those things. They were happy in building this lodge for us today and for generations yet unborn. applied to the Grand Master for a dispensation, a group of Masons, that they want to start a new lodge at a certain point. Uh, the Grand Master most likely, if he thinks they're well organized and can do it, judges them to be capable of starting a lodge, uh, he would issue them a dispensation. I'm Past Master Portland Lodge 326, also Past Master uh, Bethpage 521, where I hold plural membership with both lodges. Portland Lodge 326 was originally Fountainhead Lodge 326. Uh, it was chartered in 1867 and it was organized in the O.P. Butler's 
House. My name is Paula Shannon. I work here at the Portland Public Library in the Bailey Museum. In 1867, as far as we know, the Fountainhead Masonic Lodge number 326 uh, first met and was organized in a private home of Oliver uh, P. Butler. My name is Patrick uh, McGuire and I am a very well-known local historian and I've, I've taken an interest in history for most of my life. And I know today uh, the interest is in the formation of the Fountainhead uh, number 326 Masonic Lodge that began uh, in the Fountainhead community in 1867. We know that Oliver Porter Butler uh, was one that was principally uh, instrumental in the organization of the lodge and uh, we know that there's a house that still stands uh, there on the Butler Bridge Road. And then the lodge later moved to the Old Fountainhead and met over the Old Fountainhead Methodist Episcopal Church South. I'm Johnny Denton Friedel. It appears that they organized in October, October the 8th, 1867. On October the 3rd, 1868, they entered, entered into a, an agreement with the Fountainhead Church, the uh, Method, Methodist Episcopal Church. The old meeting house, which was a Methodist church at the old Fountainhead Cemetery. They met at that large building until somewhere around the early 1900s. As things started moving toward the railroad, uh, everything was building up around the railroad, and they tried to decide whether they were going to move on into Fountainhead, where the depot was at Fountainhead, and so they had to decide whether they were going to meet there or go on into Portland as, well, Richland as it was building up. Fountainhead was a much bigger town uh, than Portland was back then. Um, they had like three grocery stores or something like that, you know, and, and it was much bigger than Portland. But anyway, so that's where the, uh, the Masonic building started over there. Next, they... Um, moved to a store, we're just going to call it the Lanier store because uh, I'm not real sure about whether it was a drugstore or a grocery store or what. My great-great-grandfather was Dr. Thomas Luther Lanier and he was born in 1848 and died in 1934. And he was the one that actually started Consumers Drugs. Uh, it didn't start out being named that but it was actually his thing at, at first. And he was also in the Masons. He began in the uh, uh, Cherry Mound uh, group of Masons. Thomas Luther moved his family into Portland, and that's when he started uh, joining the, the Masonic Lodge here uh, in Portland. And he uh, built the drugstore and started the drugstore business. So then they met with T.L. Lanier in his drugstore, Jay Bailey and Sons erected a two-story building for mercantile purposes in partnership with the Masons and dedicated the upper floor as their meeting hall in November of 1903. And 
So they met at that place until later on when they moved over to the big building. Well, that building was built in 1909 for the uh, Independent Order of Oddfellas. In 1922, the Lodge voted to change the name from Fountainhead Lodge to Portland Lodge. Uh, there was a vote and there was 44 voted for it, four voted against it. So it was changed, the name was changed in 1922. James W. Cook. I was uh, introduced to the Portland Lodge by a neighbor that was very much involved with the Portland Lodge and I wanted to pattern my life after someone like Lloyd Brown and Paul Brooks was uh, my mentors. My name is James Daniel Ridge and I've been a Mason since October the 28th, 1957. In 1965, I was alerted for Vietnam, stationed at Sioux Air Force Base, Tennessee. Brother Riggs, it gives me great pleasure as a member of Portland Lodge to present to you with this 60-year membership certificate and this pen. I cherish the Lodge and what it means to me. I was raised in December of 49. The worshipful master was Brother Herbert Harper. Masonic's always been number one in my mind. I've enjoyed it. I've met a lot of wonderful brothers throughout my career in the service. In the Philippines, they were all military except about three. Mason remains to me there's a bunch of brothers getting together, doing them good work for the community. Uh, I've never seen a time it would, when we were doing work, especially back when uh, Brother Reeser was active. We uh, made food baskets and delivered those baskets at Christmas time. We was always happy and needy, and it learned me to appreciate helping people in need. We know some of the early people that were involved in the lodge. One of them was W.T. McLaughlin, and a lot of people called him Billy McLaughlin. He, he was probably one of the first historians that recorded a lot of information about the history of this area. I would say he was an early entrepreneur. He uh, worked in the strawberry development, and uh, he also was connected with the Bank of Portland, even the Farmer's Bank that's still in existence today. He was also the first uh, teacher in Cold Spring School over here. That's, uh, you know, by, run by the Highland Rim Historical Society. People have asked me how Richland, it was first Richland Station, uh, Portland was, and then they changed the name from Richland to Portland in 1888. And there are several theories about that. And the one that uh, my cousin Nancy went with here, 
is Richland was established August 10, 1859 as a depot for the L&N Railroad. And there was conflict because uh, there was also a Richland in Granger County, Tennessee, and the mail was getting mixed up. And to resolve the conflict on April 10, 1888, the village of Richland was renamed Portland. There was a depot just right in Louisville, Kentucky, um, today where Louisville is. There was a little station there called Portland, Kentucky. And Louisville basically um, um, engulfed this Portland. It, that, that, that station closed down, and it was right on the Ohio River. And, uh, of course, it made sense why it was named Portland, because it was right on the river, and uh, it was a station there and uh, part of the, the L&N Railroad system. And uh, when that closed, there was no other Portland, so the railroad chose Portland's name from Portland, Kentucky, because that ceased to exist, and then we became Portland. And, and I, one thing they could do, they could actually send things down here from that depot without uh, having an added expense because of Portland, Kentucky. Just delete the mention of Kentucky, and then you have Portland, you have Portland, Tennessee. So that's how Portland actually probably got its name. I'm Dickie Johnson, Grandmaster of Masons in Tennessee. Had the honor of serving in 2009. From the days when uh, people had to walk or ride horseback or go by buggy to lodge to now we can uh, travel uh, pretty quickly to most any lodge in the district. I would recommend Masonry to most anyone. After the Civil War, Tennessee was in terrible physically and financial condition. Uh, however, the Masons came through and many new lodges were started. Some of the soldiers particularly had found good things about masonry during the war, both Union and Southern. And we had an outburst of new lodges. And they came in and did their job, what they do best, helping to reconstruct their communities and their fellows' homes and farms and all the necessary things for life. All right, well, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I know I did. Brother Denning, great job. Just, I really got to give it to you. Um, you did an amazing job on that. It spoke to me when I saw it. And like I said, it lit a fire under me. That's that's something I'm currently working on to emulate for my lodge. So I hope the rest of you guys might consider that as well. Um, just kind of documenting your lodge's legacy. And like I said, keep an eye out. We're going to have Brother Denning on the show coming up here in a future episode. And we'll be able to talk about all that in uh, more detail and maybe how we can make that happen at your lodge. So that'd be a great thing. 
And uh, until next time, why don't we jump over to the Historical Light Masonic Research Group on Facebook and continue the conversation there. So let us know on there what you thought about the video today. And is that something you'd be interested in doing for your lodge? So we'll see you over there on Facebook. Until next time, when we continue our quest for Historical Light. Take care.